This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello and welcome to another Coronavirus Lockdown Survival Talking Flutes podcast with me, a croaky Jean-Paul Wright. As I mentioned last time when I spoke to the Professor Mihi Kim and she was contained in her Parisian lockdown as well, I want to use this time of social isolation to catch up with some of the wonderful flutists I know and who always seem to be far too busy to talk to me as they are flying around the world performing and teaching. They are now experienced in forced governmental confinement themselves, which for a musician not only decimates their livelihood by not being able to perform to an active audience, but which has had a major effect on their ability to earn money to pay the bills. So today I am delighted to tell you that I'm going to have a chat with a wonderful musician, flute player, entrepreneur, seriously lovely guy and now author who is also one of the busiest flute players I know and who must by now have gold card status for life with all the major airlines. Stephen Clark, London calling, London calling. <laughs> Hi JP, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, do, do you know, after a week, I am, I'm holding up, holding up remarkably well. You? Good. I'm doing okay. First of all, I hope British Airways are listening to this after you saying I should have gold card status for life because... That is quite simply not the case. They give it to you for one year and then they drag it away when you're kicking and screaming you're not allowed in anymore, which is quite painful. But um, anyway, let's not even talk about that. I'm very good, thank you. I'm, like you say, in lockdown here in Manchester in the UK. You only just made uh, it back, didn't you? Oh my gosh, what a week. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I made it back with four hours to spare before the UK went into lockdown because I was out in um, Australia doing some concerts and we had six concerts to do and everything was going fine because when I left the UK this wasn't really an issue like the world obviously had coronavirus but it was nothing like it was now and all the borders were still open people were traveling as normal so I left a couple of weeks ago and then um, as the tour was progressing obviously we're getting all the news and we're thinking oh my gosh what's going on in the rest of the world but actually I felt quite good about being in Australia when this was going on just kind of keep away from it, um, kind of avoid all the, the troubles. But then the last concert was cancelled and um, we had a few issues trying to get back home because at first we were told we couldn't leave the country. And then um, the authorities decided that we weren't allowed to stay in hotels, which was a really strange decision. So we were all panicking at this point. And then about an hour after that decision came, we were told we have to leave ASAP. So... Uh, straight to the airport and tried to get a flight took me about six cancelled flights I think to finally get on one um, and then I managed to make it home but the truth is I think being stuck on the plane against my will for 24 hours I think I have caught the virus which isn't ideal but actually I'm, I'm doing okay but the last few days have been a bit rough because of that. Are you getting the symptoms of a headache and coughs or are you just feeling generally lousy? I pretty much have 
every single symptom, which is quite strange. Well, not strange, I guess, but kind of to be expected. The thing is, of course, like so much, so many countries in the world, we can't go and get tested. There aren't tests you can just go get yet. So when I say I think I've got the virus, I mean, I'm just assuming I do. But the next day, bear in mind with the time differences and the travel and everything, it was probably about three or four days after leaving uh, Australia yes. that I actually finally got home, you know. So um, I woke up the next day with like a little tiny bit of a sore throat, which didn't really worry me too much because I have to fly so much. And some of these really long haul flights, you do pick up the odd cold or the odd, you know, bit of sore throat and things. So I didn't think too much about it. And then that kind of developed into like a bit of a cold. And then um, the weirdest thing was I was getting a little bit dizzy. I mean, it sounds worse than it was. It wasn't too bad, you know, but in the mornings I would wake up a tiny bit dizzy. And then I started to Google it and I, I saw that that was one of the symptoms. And I thought, oh, no, I think I've got the, the virus. But the problem is I'm quite asthmatic. Oh, which I, know crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people are amazed when they hear that flute players are asthmatic, but actually it's quite common in wind players because mm. A lot of us as kids played these things because of asthma. And, you know, it's very under control. I take my inhaler when I need it. But I've definitely been taking it a lot more. And it's, I wouldn't say I've had, like, breathing difficulties, but certainly there was two days where I could feel my chest was very tight and I was having to really work on breathing properly. But actually, today I feel great. And um, I'm kind of able to practice a bit again. And But I'm obviously in complete isolation for, for uh, this is day six now. So slightly going insane. So thank you for at least giving me something to do today. <laughs> well, also being asthmatic, I, I know what it's like. And that is exactly the reason, apart from Jimmy Galway, was why I started the flute. Uh, do you take fluty form or you, do you have a different uh, inhaler? I have uh, Ventolin. I don't, oh, yeah. Do they still call it Ventolin? I've, I've taken it for years. But, you know, my doctor hates me because you get these, um, there's all these different kinds of inhaler. It's all the yes. same thing, but they like administer it in a different way. And years ago, I got given this one called the AccuHaler. Have you seen the AccuHaler? No, I haven't. Oh, JP, it's the future. So it's like this <laughs> little thing. You press the button and it has a little counter on it and it tells you how many like doses are left in the inhaler. You take your dose and then it goes down by one. And then when it gets to zero, you just chuck it away. It's brilliant. No messing about. So every time I go to the doctor to get my prescription repeated they want to give me like the old-fashioned puffer which i hate i need the new accuhaler now that i've seen the future so i sit there and i like demand i must have the accuhaler <laughs> and i think they hate giving it to me because it's probably more expensive but so far so good i get the accuhaler which is great i love it that is good i mean when i take my ventolin which is obviously only when i'm struggling because i have um the fluty form which is my general everyday one um, you never know right. how much you got left, do you? Until one day you press it and nothing comes out. <laughs> it's so bizarre. But I just every year I have to go for this asthma checkup. Do you mm. have to do this as well? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And honestly, I come out like feeling so woozy because they have this um, <laughs> this like what do they call it? That this thing you spacer, have to blow into. Yeah. Yeah, the spacer thing. And so she gives me like about three hundred thousand puffs of this thing, and then I have to wait for fifteen minutes. And then I have to come back and do all the tests again. And when I go in, I'm like, geez, like I take my inhaler like twice a week and you've just given it to me so much that I feel I can literally feel like on edge. I can feel my, my muscles like tingling because I've got so many steroids pumped into me. Oh, but also, well, you know, you know, the, um, the test they do with the peak flow where you have to blow down that thing and fire the little, yes. little um, triangle thing to the bottom. I'm rubbish well, at that. Well, you see, I, it does not matter. I can be dying with like the worst chest infection ever, and I can still get it to the end. Can you? Because, well, you know, I really thought about it one day, and I was like, this peak flow, 
for flute players is not very good because it's supposed to measure like lung capacity or lung um yeah i guess like lung function but actually what it's measuring is the speed of the air that you blow <laughs> it's kind of like playing a high note compared to a low note so it, it doesn't really work if you can understand like how to control your air and so i i bought one of these a while ago off ebay and i really spent some time trying to figure out how to play the peak flow if you know what i mean <laughs> so i can like fire it right to the end so the nurse kind of doesn't like it when i go for my asthma checkup because she pulls out the peak flow and i say to her it's like i'm gonna get it to the end i can't not get it to the end i just i don't know how to not do it if you know what i mean i don't know even even normal people that can get it to the end so bravo but I spent quite a long time, like really trying to practice <laughs> and figuring out it's not actually to do with the quantity of the air you release; it's to do with the speed of the air that you release it at. Do you know, kind of like playing a high note quietly. You're nuts sometimes. You really I are. Know, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. But now I've got myself into this situation where they don't think I'm asthmatic anymore, and I'm definitely asthmatic. I just can cheat the test. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, it's great news that you're coming through the other side and Definitely. you'll be able to emerge properly because once we get these tests that will say whether you've had it or not then there'll be no need for lockdown will there exactly and in a way as crazy as it sounds i hope i have officially had it yeah absolutely because then i can kind of get out and you know the people that haven't had it i can at least help them out if they need food brought and i think my mum thinks she's had it as well and i hope she has so at least if we both had it i can then go see her What'd be great um, is if you can get a passport, you know, a COVID-19 passport, which shows that you've had it, yeah. which enable you then to travel around the world much sooner than you will, you will be able to. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, I guess, that I'm not sure there'll be an audience to play to quite yet. But I'm hopeful. I am hopeful that we'll get back to where we were. And I'm really hopeful that although this has been a horrendous experience for most of the planet, we will all take something positive from this and we will realise that we share a lot more in common than we, we actually have in difference between us all. Oh, here, here. Uh, and have you noticed you can hear the birds and there's no planes? I know. And it, you can breathe I, you outside. Know, it's so funny. I live right in the city centre in Manchester and somebody texted me this morning. My friend John, who lives in Newcastle, texted me this morning to see how I was doing. And he said, can you hear the birds? And I was like, I can. For the first time ever living in my apartment, I can hear the birds outside. They're all on the trees outside. There's literally, as I speak, about 16 magpies just sitting there. I never see anything like this in the city. So maybe the world is trying to tell us something. I'm not sure. Cool. That's a lot of magpies. One for sorry, I two know. for joy. I know. I, I, I had to boy. Google it. <laughs> I had to Google out what it goes up to, but I could only get up to 12. So I yes. don't know what I'm going to get in my life. <laughs> So, Stephen, uh, before we talk about your wonderful book, what advice would you have for musicians of all standards and all abilities and all ages that at this moment in time are stuck at home? What to practice? And also how to practice if they are finding they're annoying the rest of the family or even the neighbours? Well, this is interesting you ask because I've had both of these conversations with people this morning. Uh, I have one student, well, not student, kind of... Um, young aspiring flute player who I occasionally help out who um was telling me that they were struggling with practicing at home because their their dad is now working from home as well of course and I think he was struggling with the noise and um, this is something I kind of have to deal with quite a lot on the road you know because I've spent so many nights in hotels and and things you know and I have to practice so how do you practice so my first tip I know it sounds bonkers is well first of all you have to find the room that is going to cause the least amount of 
nuisance to everybody else. That might be your bedroom, that might be the bathroom, that might be the kitchen, that might be, it doesn't matter, but find that room and then get a whole load of towels and put the towels around the door, right? Roll them up, put them at the bottom, put them around the top. If you can hang one between the door frame and the towel, do as much as you can to soundproof that off. You would be amazed at how much difference it makes. Um, So I do this in hotels. And also what I do in hotels is I put the television on quite loud. You can practice with the TV on. I mean, you're not watching it, of course. And it's not ideal because it's maybe not as quite uh, concentrated as you would want. But I find that if people can hear the TV or the radio or something on top of your flute playing, they're less likely to be bothered by the flute playing, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. Yeah, it's almost white noise, isn't it? Yeah, so just distract people a little bit. I mean, it is a difficult situation and we have to be sensitive. You know, at the moment, I live in this kind of modern apartment in the middle of the city. And when I practice during the day normally, no one's in. It's just me. And so my neighbours don't really complain. I'm very lucky that the guy that lives below me is actually really kind and, and quite enjoys it, I think, which is the first time in my life I've ever had that. Because in the past, especially when I lived in London, my neighbours hated me because of the practicing. But um, I went round and put a little note under their door and said, you know, if anybody needs any groceries or anything and is in isolation, please, before I knew I was going into isolation, of course, please let me know and I can help you out. And also, just to let you know, I'm a musician. I'll be practicing. I won't practice before 10 o'clock in the morning. I won't practice after five o'clock in the afternoon. But if it becomes unbearable for you, please let me know. And I haven't heard anything, but I felt like kind of kill with kindness a little bit if I can offer them this kind gesture of let me help you out then hopefully they won't complain at me and so far this is day six so far so good but who knows that may change quickly yeah and at the moment you're actually doing online a rodrigo flute concerto tutorial so (laughs) the rodrigo (laughs) you know this is a piece i've never played this before but i've sat and listened to it played a handful of times not very many because the truth is it is an absolute nightmare and it doesn't look that bad on the page it doesn't does it See, as soon as you try and play it, for me, it's probably the hardest flute piece I know of. Like, because it's all up on, like, the crazy high notes, and certainly I don't have as good a facility on those notes as I have in the other registers. So I thought, while I have the time, although I have no intention anytime soon of playing this piece, work, you know, professionally actually performing it, let's, let's see if I can break the back of it. So I did exactly what I tell my students to do, start real slow with the metronome, and I decided to document this a little bit. And... Actually, it's funny because every day I'm getting people contacting me going, oh, my gosh, you know, good job. It's getting better and better. And then I'm getting a a couple of people contacting me kind of going, that's ridiculous. It's still so slow. But I think, go try this piece. Go see how awkward this is. So um, I'm quite pleased. I've kind of got the metronome going a little faster now. But I can only practice that particular piece for maybe like 15 or 20 minutes a day because it's really loud and really high. (laughs) Like really high. And I I think it's... It might be pushing my luck with my neighbours. So I do it in the middle of my practice session so that just to the point where I think they might complain and then I stop and go on to something a bit more gentle. <laughs> and when are you going to take on that middle movement, which is absolutely beautiful? I, the middle movement, I don't think is... I can't remember. Is there anything really difficult in it? I'm not sure. I do love it. I just want to get the first movement kind of under my fingers and then I'll I'll take it from there. But it's really more... I'm using it really as a study for the high notes because... Yeah. I want I want to get really fluid at all these high note fingerings. And um, not that long ago, I changed flute, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding I'm having to use slightly different high note fingerings on the flute I now play on. 
as opposed to what I had before. So I'm just trying to get good at that. It sounded, it sounded fabulous. Those D's, top D's, are sounding absolutely oh, gorgeous. Thank and you. in time, you know, it was really funny because the last time I played it, the last time I made a little recording of it, I'd got the metronome up about 20 beats and I was getting all the really high D's out, but I missed about two B's, which I never <laughs> have a problem with. <laughs> but I've never, I've not yet got a, a take where I just feel that would be good enough to record if I was having to do this professionally. I haven't got there yet, but this is practice, right? And I was saying to some one of my students the other day, I was like, you cannot measure progress. It's either there or it's not there. But the quantity of progress is irrelevant. Oh, and I would totally agree. And the thing that I'm loving about you posting these is the, the fact that not one note stands out above the other. So what you know when normally people are playing high notes, they tend to push yeah. them. But with you as you're playing and that you're demonstrating it, each note has the same characteristic. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. That that actually has made my day because that's something I'm really aware of uh, and trying hard to work on. And I think the same about the bottom register. You know, we have this trend as flute players at the moment. Mm. Now, of course, I'm not professing to be the, the greatest flute player on the planet, but I'm someone who has to earn a living out of this. And I'm someone who is very much like obsessed with the flute and constantly listening to people as a as an auditor and also as a teacher. Um, and then, of course, as a colleague having to... Um, collaborate with other flute players and musicians and we have this real trend at the moment to force the bottom register but more than ever before like we, we kind of don't want to sound like flute players anymore we want to sound like a trumpet player and it drives me bonkers I, I think like we must embrace the sound of the flute and really let the flute sound like a flute you know and it's great if at times we can we can bring in the other colors and the other timbres and the other kind of um, mimicking the other instruments but our core sound I want it to be a fluty sound and it's something I'm really trying to practice in my own playing is to make it more fluty than ever before if that makes sense so do you do much long long note practice whilst you're at, at home or do you I've noticed that you do a lot of improvisation to start with before you go on to anything long tones long as they call it in America yeah. always makes me chuckle um I I do a little bit you know it's a difficult thing to practice a long tone exercise. I'm much more interested in the join between two notes Absolutely, than yeah. I am mm -hmm. I am in the note itself. I, with the improvisation, I mean, I wouldn't even call it improvisation because improvisation implies to me that it's kind of almost almost like worthwhile in artistically, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't really like that for me. It's just I'm really aware that when I play in the morning, it doesn't sound so good. And I think most people can relate to that. And I don't really feel it, it's worthwhile to immediately launch into practicing something when my body is not yet ready and adjusted to playing the flute. Because playing the flute is a really weird thing to do to our body. It's weird to our, our, our lips and our face muscles, our tongue, our, our mouth cavity, our lungs, the way we lift our arms. It's, it's a really unnatural thing. It's natural to us because we have done it for countless hours over the years. But our body was not really designed to do that. And I just think it takes a little bit of time for my body to, when I start to practice in the morning or the afternoon, whenever it is, to kind of go, okay, I'm ready now to to try and improve on the standard that I can play at. So I just like to, noodle, I call it noodling. And I talk about this in the book as well. Just noodling around, you know, like picking your flute up, playing whatever you like, um, and just kind of getting comfortable with making the flute sound that day. And actually, I quite like it because there's a, there is a musical freedom that comes with it. And it allows you to kind of feel a little bit more connected to being expressive in your own playing when you're reading 
or you're playing from from a, someone else's composition. But the annoying thing about noodling around is sometimes I play something and I go, wow, that was real cool. I really liked how that sounded. But of course, I can never, ever do it again. I can try and replicate it, but it's never the same. So I guess you also learn that like sometimes the magic in music is there and it's gone just as fast as it ever arrived. So what, you just have to... What do you do when you... What, yeah, I understand the magic is literally gone when, you, when something... But that's like uh, in a performance, isn't it? You're playing something oh, yeah. and you play that last note and there's that silence before the audience come in and you're just holding on to it. Yeah, but, sometimes but you just get in the zone. You're just in the zone and there's no reason why you're in the zone. Everything just like everything just aligns itself perfectly for that precise moment in time for that musical decision to be correct and to make a difference to the people listening. But a lot of the time it doesn't do that. And so as musicians, we're constantly chasing that moment. And that's kind of part of the fun of it, I think. And I don't, I'm not sure quite the um, the system to recreating it yet. I'm still trying to figure this out. But I definitely walk off stage and sometimes think, wow, that was great. Or wow, that was not so great. But interestingly, the audience don't always agree. You know, sometimes I'll come off and think I played a terrible concert and they're going, oh, I've never heard you play better. And other times I go thinking wow that was really moving for me tonight i really will remember that concert and the audience are a bit more half-hearted about it so there is no rule there is no system to this but that is the absolute wonder and beauty of music there it is and what advice would you have i mean i'm sure you don't wake up and have crap chops do you you, you, you wake up and oh, oh you have no, no, no idea no way there's no way that you wake up and i give you my word it sounds but i am i am quite um organized with how i approach it and i'm also um some days it's just bad and i just accept that it's not as good as it's going to be and hopefully those days will not be important concert days or any concert day but it does happen yesterday was a bit of a dodgy sound day for me but i also have learned there's a system so let's say i take a day off practice the next day i'll sound really good and then the next day i'll sound horrendous so I have to be quite organized with my time. And there was a teacher who once told me, and I can't remember who it was, you know. It might have been David Nicholson, who was the um, the ex-principal of Scottish Chamber Orchestra. I studied with him for four years when I was at college in Scotland. He's no longer with us, sadly. But amazing musician, knew everybody, and had just done everything there was to do. And I remember my first lesson with him, actually. Interestingly, we're talking about long tones, because that was the first thing he asked me to play was sonority the moist sonority book so as like an 18 year old kid i honked out my b b flat b flat a and he turned around and he said to me when i played this to moist blah 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 and i <laughs> just was like excuse me like <laughs> i had never heard you know anyone that actually knew this guy before so this was david he just knew everybody and had done everything and he studied with rampal and he was best pals with sir james galway and he just knew everybody and so i was really in awe of this guy and i'm sure he once said to me that for every day you take off playing the flute, it's going to take you another day to get back to where you were. So if you go on holiday for a week, you really need three weeks off because you need to be on holiday for a week and then two weeks to practice to where you were, and then you can go back to work. And I think he's quite right, actually. I think there is some truth in that. So um, you have to, I have to kind of be aware of that. But, you know, I was also talking to a friend of mine once who was it? I think it might be Pasha. Do you know Pasha? Oh, yeah, I know Pasha, yeah. Used, I think he still works in Just Blues. Amazing flute player, actually. Really, really talented guy. And I'm sure once we were at an audition together and we were just talking, you know, in the, the warm-up room. 
and uh, we were talking about taking time off. It may not be Pasha, so if he listens to this, I'm so sorry if it wasn't him, but I, mem- I kind of think it was him. And he said to me that whoever the teacher that he'd been studying with, whoever that was, I think at Guildhall or Royal Academy or somewhere, one of their big things was that you get to a point in your career, in your life, that it doesn't matter how long you've taken off, you can just pick up the flute and you're, you know, concert ready, ready to go. Good grief. Um, and I was like, wow, that is a skill and a half. Uh, I can't remember who the teacher was now, but it was someone very well known. I'm sure it was him that told me this. And I really admired him for that way of thinking, because I don't really feel like that in my own playing I feel like I have to be very systematic in my practice and I really do have to practice I think a lot of younger players that contact me they don't realize how much I do practice and how much many of my colleagues and friends do practice and that's purely because it isn't always the most natural thing for me in the world I really do have to work at it to get somewhere and that leads us beautifully onto this book that is staring in front of me Oh, I'm so glad it arrived because uh, we've had so many issues with shipping and things like that. So it did this I'm glad morning. they're finally arriving. Good. Right. So, with a, uh, with a picture of you. Well, it's an emoji of you <laughs> holding a flute three times as big as a normal flute. Well, you know, the, the, the book is called The Flute Gym. And it's not actually a, like someone contacted me asking me if it was like physical exercises, <laughs> like for the flute player. And I was like, no, 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 it's flute exercises. But it, I wasn't initially going to call it the flute gym. I was initially going to call it <laughs> how to be a flute superhero. I think I spoke to you about you it. Did, actually. Yeah. Did I, yeah. I wanted to call it how to be a flute superhero wow. because there was a picture that was taken of me a couple of years ago, dressed up as Superman. And it was for an album that was being released at the time. And this picture just became very well known. And I get so many people talking to me about this picture. So at first I thought, you know what, let's let's use this picture again because it will save me having to go get more photography done, blah, blah, blah. And also I really, there was a time limit to this book. I, I started it quite late. I started it at the end of January and I had to go quick because I wanted it released on the 1st of March. So that is a fast time. Most people might take a year or something to do a book. So I had just over a month, really. Um, so I thought, well, let's utilize what we already have. But then I, the more I thought about it, <laughs> And I was like, people might take that the wrong way. It might come across a bit arrogant or cocky, implying that I am a flute superhero, which is absolutely not what I was implying. So I decided in the end to change it and go with the flute gym. So it was quite a funny process. So the whole book, I did everything in the book apart from that picture. I even designed the cover, actually, but I didn't draw that picture. So I contacted an artist and I said, I want this kind of like cartoon style drawing done of someone holding a flute and using the flute as like a a barbell in the gym and he kind of understood immediately what I wanted and so he sent me this picture back which wasn't the one we're using and I said you've got the style perfectly but I need the 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 athlete to be kind of squatting like like it's really heavy and he said can you send me a picture I'm about to tell you a really terrible story it's a bit rude is that okay oh go for it you can always edit it out oh no 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 anyway so and this might take you by surprise where I'm going with this. So um, I, I Googled it and found that I, I Googled something like muscular man in gym lifting barbell, you know, something really, really silly. And it came up with this picture and I saw it straight away and I thought that is perfect. Took this, you know, copied this picture, sent it to the artist and said, do this, except not quite as muscly as this guy is, but put my face on it and replace the barbell with the flute. And he said, perfect. Now, he obviously has some kind of program that, like, scans the outline of the picture and then he can, like, recreate it in his drawing, if that makes sense. And what I didn't notice in the picture 
Ah, uh, I know where you're was, going. Was was that this guy who was wearing very very tight shorts? Yeah. <laughs> there was something hanging just slightly below where it should have. <laughs> so I didn't notice this, of course, and I don't know if he noticed it or whether he thought this was funny. <laughs> so this picture came back to me, and I didn't. I thought perfect, like, and I said, make the flute make the keys on the flute silver because the the keys on my flute are silver the tube is gold and the keys are silver so do that and then we're good to go and that's what he did and it was perfect and i love this picture did not look in my kind of crotch area of what was going on uh, in the picture i mean and so um are you still there jp i'm still here yeah i'm oh, just i'm totally so, um, enamored by this story <laughs> anyway the book was all done and at the very last second um a friend of mine was looking at the draft copy and she went have you seen this? And I was horrified. And we were that close to a thousand copies of the book being printed with one of, well, a cartoon testicle showing on, on the picture. So we, I caught it by the skin of my teeth, no pun intended. Oh, and, um, I'll tell you what, there could be an adult version of the flute, Jim, couldn't there? Oh, could you imagine if all these people's books were getting landed on their doorstep? <laughs> So uh, right. it was uh, an interesting process. What I'm going to do is, for the listeners, I'm going to read what it says on the back, because I think that encapsulates it perfectly as to what the flute, okay. the flute gym is about. And then we can have a chat about it. Yeah. Right. You, on the back is a lovely picture of you um, with your bio. And above it, it says, The flute gym is a manual for flute players of all levels wanting to become stronger, fitter and faster on their instrument. Covering 10 fundamental workouts for flute technique, it provides a daily method of condensing essential practice in a manageable program for flute players living a fast-paced life and with limited practice time, with both written text and video demonstrations included. That's very important. We'll cover that a bit later. The flute gym is packed full of general advice, as well as exercises for warming up, playing with power and projection, breathing, articulation, support, scales, flexibility, focusing the sound, control of the top register and intonation. Everything we need as flute players to make progress. That says it all really, doesn't it? Yeah, I wrote that very carefully, actually. That that was a, one of the, you know, I wrote that at the very end and it was incredibly important. There's not a single word in that little blurb that I didn't probably ponder and, and mm. think about. It was very important how, because I really had to think, what am I doing with this book? Um, for me, progress is the number one most important word. And as you, if the people that read the book, every single paragraph almost will talk about this word progress. Yes. And it's so important because that is why we practice. We must remember we are practicing to make progress. And as I said, I think earlier on to you, just in this, this uh, chat, there is no quantity, there's no way of measuring the quantity of progress. That's irrelevant, actually. Um, in our personal practice, I, you know, like a, a gram of progress is just as important as a litre of progress, if you can measure it like that. Um, and so it doesn't matter what the, the guy in the next practice room is doing and how much progress they are making. All that really matters is how much progress we are making right now in this particular moment. So that was the starting point of all this um so how did you i mean every, you, you start most chapters with questions don't you um just to ponder a thought and then you you very gently and very succinctly encompass that chapter with various exercises yeah, there, there's five sections to every chapter well first of all 
the the book became a bit longer than I was planning. When I it all started, can I just I tell you the whole story? Actually, yeah, it all started because um, last year in, at the end of June, I broke my shoulder and I couldn't play for a while, and it was a really dreadful time of my life actually. Because not just for the book, there was lots of things going on in life, and it all kind of happened at one go. And it really knocked me for six and I was very low and struggling and very depressed. And I'm not really that kind of person, but it was the first time in my life I really kind of felt worthless, if you like. It sounds very dramatic. But, I, you know, slowly my shoulder got a bit better and I could play again. And then I went back to work um, at the 1st of October, I think it was. And I went out to play in America for a while. But I was really struggling because although I was standing on stage getting through the concerts, I was in a lot of pain. My shoulder was strapped up every day. I was taking painkillers like you wouldn't believe. Um, which was depressing. And also I could practice, but I could just practice enough to get by. I wasn't really practicing like I wanted to. And so I never felt great about anything. So when I got back from the tour, I went back to the specialist and we did an MRI scan and all kind of other things. And they really wanted me to have more surgery and I didn't want to do it because it had already been a problem. And um, they said, well, you're going to have to take more time off, you know, and you might never play again properly kind of thing. But I thought that's rubbish. I can definitely play. Well, at least I hope I can. So I took, I had decided I'd take another couple of months off. But I really didn't want to fall into this kind of depressive state again. So back, you know, in slings and everything. And I was sitting on the friend, my sofa, sitting on the sofa of a friend of mine who's a, an amateur flute player. And um, she had said to me, like loads of people had said, oh, why don't you write a book? Why don't you write a book? But I'd never done anything about it, of course. And she said, do the book. And I just kind of thought, okay, I'll do it. And that was it. And so I started the book the next day. Um, the beauty of it was most of these exercises I already had in some shape or form, because that's just kind of how I am as a musician um, in my own practice. And also I'd written, when I say written, I'd kind of scribbled things down for students before. But I, when I think about it, you know, even when I first kind of started after college and my first teaching job was in a, a primary school, you know, like a school for kids learning their first notes. I would go in one day a week. Even then, although they had their tutor books that they worked from, almost every week I would write a little noodly tune down for them because I thought it was maybe a bit more suited to them than what was happening in the book. So it's just been part of me to constantly have this idea of inventing exercises and melodies and things to practice. And I know lots of other people do it. So a lot of these exercises existed, even if they were just in my head, you know, I didn't have to make them up again. So I started to write the text and that took about a month. And I, I my, I, you know, I'm not a professional writer as such. So I didn't quite know how best to approach this. So my plan was just get everything down on paper. It's not going to be perfect. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense, but get the ideas down on paper in terms of my descriptions. And I quickly realized there was a kind of style and a voice that was coming out, which is very casual. And I wasn't sure if that was maybe appropriate, but I decided, and after my friends read it, they decided that this is definitely the way I should be going. So I decided to be very organized. And every chapter has about five sections, I think. It starts off with bullet points, which tell us exactly the purpose of why we're going to practice what we're practicing. Then it goes into a section um, called, oh my gosh, what's it called, JP? Is it what, what's, what's it all about? What's, yeah, it, all what's about? it all about, yes. <laughs> And the what's all about saying, I can't, you know, the truth, I don't even have a copy because it's sold out. I, I do. don't even have a copy myself. <laughs> it's in front of me now. So um, it's called What's It All About? And that just explains exactly what this chapter is about, why we're going to practice it. It's going to take the bullet points and expand on them slightly. Sometimes it'll talk a little bit about my own personal experiences and why I've decided to practice these things. 
And then the next section is this is how we do it. And do you know, and this is, like is a, the one I want you to expand on because you, sorry okay. I've d to interject here, but that's okay. I've just uh, turned the page over. This is what you do. Not only just explain how what you do and you have exercises, but you have QR codes. Yeah, the QR codes is something I wanted to do right from the beginning because we live in this amazing time where this is available. You know, something my students do not understand is that when I was at music college, which was in, I graduated in 2007, um, Facebook it started the year I graduated, I think. I remember getting my first Facebook account. And I remember when they, you know, if we wanted to learn like a Mozart symphony in college orchestra, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, these things didn't exist. So if I wanted to go and listen to Mozart Symphony Number no. 40, for example, with another 95 people who were also trying to hear the same recording for their rehearsal, I had to go to the library and try and find either the CD or the LP of this. You know, they would have one copy and that was a hard to get hold of if there was another 100 people trying to get it. So times have changed and everything is now at people's fingertips, which is, um, I mean, it brings some complications, of course. But my gosh, what a time to to be a musician, you know, to have all this here. So I really wanted to utilize this. So with the, uh, this is how we do it section, I, I always write a kind of fairly lengthy paragraph about exactly what I'm about to practice and how I'm going to practice it. Then it actually goes into a step-by-step -step instruction, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then finally, it gives you the, the two codes. Every chapter comes with two codes. Um, the first of them is just a plain demonstration. I don't say a word. You'll just see me standing up there playing this exercise to give you an idea of how I think it should sound in my head in terms of tempo, color, style, volume, um, any kind of strange effects, techniques, they're all in there. And then the second code is like a little couple of minutes of me discussing it and almost like a little mini flute lesson talking about what to be listening for, what to be feeling, what to uh, what are the pitfalls and all this kind of thing. So, and I decided to separate the two from the demonstration and the guide, as I call it, because I didn't want people, if they're just wanting a demonstration, to have to sit through five minutes of me talking every time, you know, so they're both there for quick access. This turns so it into, through, sorry, this turns into a multi-dimensional flute tutor. It's not just words on the paper. Absolutely. And it, what's interesting is that I don't think people are totally comfortable with that yet because obviously there's a lot of these books out now and I can see the view count on the videos and it's lower than the a lot lower than the number of books that have been sold so I think people are forgetting actually they're even there because once you turn the page from the codes you then have the exercise written out in full and sometimes that's several pages worth of, of music and then after the exercise I also decided to include um, for every chapter what's called real life examples so it gives you one solo repertoire example and one orchestral solo example of the particular technique that we have been practicing. So, for example, there's a chapter called P Chapter 2's Power and Projection, all about being able to fill the biggest concert hall with your sound. And so there's a, a moment from solo rep and a moment from the orchestral rep where you would have to play with that sound. And so you can basically everything's like this little journey. It goes through the explanation and the decision making of why I think it's important to practice all the way through to how we do it, to hearing me do it, to talking about it, through to the exercise to have a go yourself. And then finally, to see how you apply that into real life flute playing. So that was the idea. And I, th I can only implore people to to check out the videos because having that extra audio and visual link to what you're seeing on the paper is invaluable. Yeah, I think so. 
you know, we used to, I remember when I was a kid and I had the Trevor White tone book, which I still use all the time, actually. And then he brought out a version with a CD, you know, and everyone loved this because you could finally hear someone demonstrating it. And this is just going one step further. Yeah, it's now, uh, very clever. You know, it's using. Oh, thank you. I mean, I mean, it's, I'm excited about it. It's been a lot of work. It's not quite all set in yet because everything happened so quickly and I had to learn so much, like how to typeset music. I had no idea how to do all this uh, and then how to do the layout and paper thicknesses and lamination on cut like all these things spiral binding everything i had to find the right people to do this so I, I got a product i was really happy with and i am really happy with it and i was really proud when i held it for the first time and even figuring out the qr codes how to do all that kind of stuff um it was complicated but i think it is quite a useful book it, interestingly people are con now that lots of them are arriving in people's doors i'm getting lots of messages about it and the chapter that is definitely people are practicing the most is, is the breathing chapter is that chapter four or is that yeah i think it's is it chapter four flexibility is five so focus is four. Oh, breathing might be three then i can't yep, quite breathing remember. is three so that that's the one that people are definitely i'm surprised at that because i thought um flexibility or something like that may be the most popular because they go through everything chapter one is about warming up now, that was the very last one I wrote because actually I wasn't expecting to write a warm-up chapter. I had 12 chapters written, but I decided I wanted to reduce it to 10 because initially I only wanted the book to be 30 pages for lots of reasons, but it actually is now 108 pages, so it's quite a hefty book. Um, but so I realized that actually because I was covering so many different topics, because it goes through uh, chapter two is power and projection, chapter three is... I can't remember the order, but it's three is, breathing. three is breathing. Oh, breathing. Okay. So it goes through power and projection, breathing, focusing in the sound to make a nice clean sound. It goes through my entire scale method. It has flexibility workout. It has um, a chapter on intonation, which I call intonation and outtonation. And the outtonation is kind of a word I've invented, but I think it makes sense when you, you see what it's about. It's about those moments where you're suddenly not in tune where you want to be, but you still have to play in tune and how to do that. Um, there's a chapter on articulation, which I, is something I practice every day. Actually, that is a good wee method, I have to say. But there's loads of things that covers pretty much everything. So I realized that what some people might do is they might use it as a, almost like a daily, a daily practice routine, which wasn't my initial intention because for me, it's exercises that I dip in and out of constantly. But then I realized other people might do it as a daily method. So I thought, well, I don't want them starting with power and projection, having not played because that's not really, we need to be, you know, just what I said, you need to be ready to practice. You need to be in the best shape you can be to practice and therefore make progress. So um, I decided to include a warm up thing and I wanted to write, I, everything was very carefully done. I needed it to start in a particular register of the flute to work its way up, to work its way back down. I wanted a harmonic in there for resistance. There was a lot of reasoning behind it. So it took, it kind of all happened quite organically, but it took a lot of thought to make sure that I was really delivering what I thought was correct, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And the great thing about another great thing, not only the great thing, but another great thing about it is when, normally when you open a tutor book, there's a, an intro from the author, and then it's just study after study after study with very little written. You have actually verbalized with every chapter, and that is so important. Yeah. I have, yeah. Uh, and actually, I also color-coded it. <laughs> Which I know people don't care about, but I really care about that because everything else is black and white. Oh, you this have. This book is colour. You have. I'm just flicking through. You have. 
yeah, everything's color coded. So um, then, so basically, I finished off the book. Like I, I got to the end of the last exercise, which is the chapter ten, intonation and outonation, and then I thought, you know, there's things I want to talk about that I haven't spoken about. So I started. I thought I really want to talk about practicing etudes because, as you know, I really <laughs> am into my etudes, and this is important to me and my students. I think I can really see them make progress when we do this properly. And I wanted to talk about why we practice etudes, what is the purpose of practicing etudes, and how we best approach this. So I started to write this little chapter, and then. I thought, you know what, I should probably also write a little bit about playing from memory. So then I started to do that and it just went on and on and on. And so in the end, I had I have a whole chapter that isn't actually um, it's not got music to play, but it's it's conversation about practicing etudes, playing from memory, um, how to deal with performance anxiety, which is really a big one, actually, how to deal with criticism, self-criticism, but also criticism from others. And dealing with that in competitive environment of which, whether we like it or not, is is part of the nature of trying to make a career out of this. Um, and also a guide on how to buy a flute, because that's something I've just gone through quite recently myself. And uh, I really wanted to share my experiences with others on that. And that's so important because you, you know, you've you've had access. Well, we bumped into each other quite a lot on at the flute convention in America, and everybody's mm. been after you to choose their flutes. But you took a long time to find the one that you fell in love with. I did. It was an interesting procedure. At first, it was quite a stressful process, but in the end, it became quite exciting. If I'm to be honest, and I was fortunate enough that because I go out and receive invites to play at these places, flute companies can see the value of having, you know, visible players, if you like, on their instruments especially as the world becomes smaller as such with um, social media and internet and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so it was it was quite daunting at first because I was having some quite major companies approach me and say, please try our instruments and making all kind of offers and deals. One particular company, I won't name names, of course, because I don't want to cause trouble, but one particular company offered me a completely free gold flute, which I could not believe. Um, and I was very flattered, of course, but the problem is that is incredibly enticing, <laughs> but I really, really needed to make sure I made the decision about what I wanted and what was best for me. And um, of course, the flute I was playing on before, it was a great flute. This was the thing. It was a really, really good flute. There was nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But I'd played on that flute for nine years, and I think my playing has changed more in the, nine, the last maybe six years, actually, than ever before in my entire life. And so I think it's, of course, reasonable to assume that perhaps the instrument that was perfect for you nine years ago is not necessarily the most perfect instrument for you now. And I'm OK with that. I think a lot of flute players sometimes look down on people and think, well, it's just a case of practicing more. And actually, that's not true. There is so many options of flutes available, so many cuts of head joints, so many materials, so many thicknesses of tube, millions of different variations. If, if your whole life is based around blowing down this tube, you owe it to yourself, if you can, to play the one that is absolutely the most suited to you. Uh, irrelevant of what your teacher plays, your friend plays, what kind of money you have in your bank, you know, whether you like the look of a gold flute or you want, you know, diamonds and the keys. It doesn't matter. You the sound is what is most important. So I came to the decision that maybe it was time to to experiment and see. And I'm really happy with what I've got, but it took me two years to get there. It did, and you know we met up quite a lot during those two years, and I can 
I can confirm that you can't be seduced by companies, by what other people are saying. It's all down to what you feel and what you hear. And let's face it, you have to be totally in love with something that you spend more time with than your partner. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, interestingly, when I first played the flute I have, now have, it was literally, my mind was blown within the first 15 seconds. But it was the flute that started off the whole process of me thinking maybe it's time to change because I was playing in 2014, I think it was. That's how long ago this was at the British Flute Convention in Warwick. And I had just flown in from, I think it was Sweden. And I was coming in for this one concert for one night. And then I was flying straight back out to Norway, I think. And I didn't really have much free time. So between the rehearsal and the concert, my concert was maybe like four o'clock in the afternoon. So I did my rehearsal about 12 o'clock. Uh, between the recital and the rehearsal, I went up to the trade hall just to catch up with friends and everything. And on the way out, I saw this particular um, flute maker sitting there, but I didn't realize they made handmade flutes, you see. So I was really intrigued. And for about literally two minutes, I played it and thought, whoa, this flute is amazing. Played it, went back, did my concert, didn't think too much about it. And then about a year later, I was playing somewhere else, some other festival. Oh, I was at... Um, the Galway Flute Festival in Switzerland, and they have all the trade people in. I tried it again, but more thoroughly, and I thought, wow, I think it's time to change flute. But I didn't think I need this flute. I thought, I don't think my flute is the right one for me, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So then the process started, and I was lucky enough to be able to play NFA and things, which gave me so much opportunity to test literally everything. And several flute companies were incredibly kind and invited me over um to their showrooms in various places and really did look after me. I was very flattered. And it meant I got to try these things in incredible conditions, you know, without other flute players around. Some companies, of course, were were definitely stronger at trying to sell things to you than others. Um, but, you know, I somebody once said to me, I think it was, again, um, one of the boys that, in fact, it was Adam, the manager of Just Flutes. I really admire all the people in the flute shops in London because they're always very honest. And I think that's the best quality. I haven't always experienced that in other countries. And Adam once said to me, you cannot sell somebody a flute. It's impossible. The flute will always sell itself. Absolutely agree. And I, I really agree with him. So, Come on, Stephen, these... spill the beans. Come on. I know what you play and you're being very polite. Oh, I... Come on. Oh, I just... Come so on. I, I'm playing a Yamaha. Now that may oh, so really that, that may surprise a lot of people, bearing in mind the mega big names in the flute world, like Nagahara, yeah. the Pals, the Haynes, and the Muramatsus, the Miyazawas, the Senkyos. And that, I mean, that I, may I literally tried everything. Here's the thing, JP, as well: the perfect flute does not exist. Here, here, it does not exist. And this quest for the perfect flute is a complete waste of time, because you will just always end up disappointed. <laughs> So um, you have to accept this. And I think you also have to really think about what your strengths and what your weaknesses as a player are and what you're looking to do with your strengths and weaknesses. What do you want to change? What do you not want to change? What do you want to preserve? These are really, it's, it's a thoughtful process. You know, it's not a case of going, you know, I, I laugh because sometimes I'll hear people test a flute and they pick up the most expensive flute at the table. They go like from a top G down to a low C, like bang. And they go, whoa, this flute's amazing. And I think, how on earth have you just come to that decision from from that? You know, it's a really slow process. Um, of course, there are flutes you pick up and you instantly go, nope, this does not work for me. And that's fine. But a lot of flutes, I find, might take a little more time. The Yamaha for me was quite instant. and But that, was, that didn't surprise me, really, because 
I think naturally I have quite a, a kind of dull sound and I'm constantly trying to add sparkle to the sound. And so I decided that maybe because I was playing a gold flute before and maybe gold was not the right thing for me, which I know is very naive of me to assume that the material is, is really that important. But I thought maybe I need to go for a silver flute. So that's what I was really looking for. I tried the Yamaha purely out of nosiness because I didn't know they made gold flutes. But the Yamaha gold flute is a, it's a very bright flute. And I think maybe some people might pick it up and think it's really bright. But for someone like me who plays like I do, I feel like it's finally allowing me to have this kind of flutier sound, as I say. It sounds it beautiful. Like a, it sounds absolutely gorgeous. Is it 14 karat? Yeah. So my last flute was solid 14K. This one is 14K with silver keys. Um, and I was finding that I preferred the silver keys. I tried it both ways. There was an 18K flute that I was trying quite seriously with them as well, but I decided the 14K was just a bit flutier. Hard to explain, but... Um, it's not I mean, really compared to when you think about all the work you have to do. You need a flutier flute, don't you? That's true. <laughs> but, you know, I think I think as well, in the UK, we don't have so many gold flutes, and it's something I've thought about a lot. Um, and in some ways, I think I, myself and a couple of other players are slightly chastised because we play a gold flute in the uk because there is this mentality of oh gold you don't want to play that for various reasons but the problem in the uk is people are not experienced in playing gold flutes now the cut of the flute is absolutely most important to the player there is nothing more different there's nothing that's going to make a bigger difference than the cut of the head joint i think i mean you're the expert at this but um i remember when i was a kid and james galway came on tour to the uk i was 16 and, you know, I'd never seen a gold flute. I'd never heard of a gold flute because nobody, nobody back then played a gold flute at all. I know there's a couple of them kicking about now. And I remember I had the most amazing teacher when I was a kid. Amazing teacher. And Sheena Gordon. I mean, she really was oh, amazing. Sheena I'm so lucky Gordon. to have her. Oh, yeah, she was my first flute teacher. I know. I mean, I was just so lucky. But I remember saying, I was a big Galway fan. You know, <laughs> She loved William Bennett and I loved Galway. And... um. <laughs> Uh, I remember her saying to me, the thing about gold flutes is they don't change color. You can't change the color as much. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. I mean, at 16, I didn't even think I know, knew what changing color meant, but I do now. So it's always something that I've thought about because I've heard this over and over again. British players saying, but you can't change the color on a gold flute. You can't change the color on a gold flute. Now, interestingly, as long as I like the flute and the way it's, it's built, I think I can change the color way more on a gold flute than a silver flute but the only reason i can do that is because i'm used to playing it if this makes sense absolutely and the problem yep. the problem we have in the uk is we don't have the opportunity to play gold flutes very often because the demand is not there so there's plenty of flute players who have played for years and years and years on silver pick up a gold flute and go oh my gosh i can't change the color but i bet you if they played for 10 years on a gold flute they would feel the same about going back to silver it's not that simple our bodies adjust completely so obviously i'm always going to at the moment probably i mean this is such a generalized conversation but i probably would favor a gold flute just because for the last 10 years of my life that's what i've been playing on but that doesn't mean gold is the best material for me so i had to be really open-minded and really experiment and find out what i wanted to get out of my instrument so i went in wanting to get a silver and in the end i decided on the 14k um but i mean it, i was close to going for a silver flute uh 
So, and I'm, I mean, I'm not too bothered about material, I have to confess. Uh, you know, I think I've had years of having a really blingy, engraved, amazing-looking flute. Now what I wanted is something that I listen back to a recording of, and I feel really proud for everybody to hear it. Uh, that's what I really wanted out of this. But it was an interesting experience. But the one thing I'll remember, I'll never forget from this, was an enormous company. I would say one of the biggest flute manufacturers in the world, but I absolutely will not tell you who they are. They were incredibly kind. And I went over and I tested privately in their showroom for a whole day. In fact, I think I went for a, a night. I think I went in for two days. And they had everything you could imagine available to me. Silvers, platinums, golds, woods, everything. And I spent a long time playing it with all these different cuts of head joints. But I really struggled to find a head joint of theirs that I really liked. However, the head joint which I was already playing, and which I'm continuing to play actually, um, worked quite well on their tubes, on their, their flute tubes. And so um, I was kind of almost tempted to go for one of these after a while. I thought it really worked. I decided in the end not to because I, the scale wasn't quite right for me. But um, one of the, uh, I don't know if you, you don't call them sale people, what's called like artists in residence, you know what I mean? Like the yes, rep people. They said to me, I think you're, this is what he said to me. He said, I think you're looking for a flute which is much more immediate um, but I think if you just spend a little bit of time working at it, you'll get what you want out of our hair joints. And I thought about it and I felt a bit judged, of course. Mm -hmm. And I decided actually I disagreed entirely because I'm at a stage where, yes, I practice to get better. Of course I do. But I also have to make a living out of this. And I don't want to have to change my playing for an instrument. I want an instrument that enhances the playing that I already Absolutely do. Absolutely agree. So that really put me off that that brand in a way. And I mean, I, I, I think I, this is not criticism of them. It was just a different mentality of thinking to how I think. And also, you know, if you take Emmanuel Pahu, for example, or, or Sir James, they can play anything, Absolutely. literally anything. I hear Sir James pick up everybody's flute and it just sounds phenomenal. If you watch Emmanuel Pahu teach, he doesn't even get his own flute out of the box. He just takes the students flute off them and just demonstrates and it always sounds incredible. I am not superhuman like those guys. I need a flute that takes my strengths and makes them sound stronger, but takes my weaknesses and makes them sound less weak. That's what I'm looking for. What's quite funny uh, is when you hear Sir James um, at a convention and he picks up everything. As we all know that he just he doesn't care what it is. He just picks it up. <laughs> and he sounds brilliant on the cheapest oh. student flute, doesn't it? You know it's him. You know, he once did a concert in the Lincoln Center. No, not Lincoln Center. Where's Lincoln Center? Is yeah, that New York. New York? Yeah. No, it wasn't there. It was, what's the, wall, the hall in Washington? The big one in Washington. Uh, you know the one I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, anyway, he was doing this concert in Washington. I'm sure it was Washington. And he did the second half on a student flute and nobody noticed. <laughs> and the company that made the flute were sitting in the audience. That's why he did it. And they were absolutely pooping themselves. <laughs> that he, was, he decided to play. But that, that is the, the genius of him. I mean, I, I don't use that word lightly. There, I've met so many of these legend flute players. I'm very lucky and taken lessons with lots of them because I, I sought that out and I really wanted to make sure that before they retired or passed away, I had gone and learned their methods. But there is no one. There hasn't been no one for me that comes close to Sir James's method and his work ethic and his way of thinking. No, and I, I would th totally endorse that. He has been singly the most the most important reason why there are so many flute players today. Not well, honestly, JP, I wouldn't have a career if he hadn't had his career because people wouldn't want to hear the flute like they do. The opportunities for people like me who make my living full time out of playing concerts, they just wouldn't be there. No doubt about it. I have absolutely no question of that. And 
it's enabled you to not have, as you say, they had this varied career. And, you know, go back a long time. I mean, I'm old, old enough to be your father because I first met you when I you were at know. college. Yes, I think third year, third year at music college because um, there was a big flute event in Edinburgh that I came up to. I was testing some flutes, actually, because I was looking for a new flute at the time because through college I'd had a, a Miyazawa 201. Yes, you had. Student yeah. And my teacher said, I think it's time you... You maybe get something a bit better not better but you know a bit more serious if you like i'm trying to choose my words very carefully but you know what i'm getting at like a higher end flute so of course back then you know as a poor student traveling all the way down to london was a big deal it was expensive so when this event happened in in edinburgh which was about an hour away from where i was studying in glasgow I went, and that's where I met you for the very first time. I remember that very well. Yep, you played Ian Clark. I can't remember which one you played. It wasn't Zoom Tube, remember. was it? It might have been Zoom Tube. I might have done Orange Dawn. I was like a real Ian Clark groupie back then. I mean, I still am now. Uh, do you know, have I ever told you my funny story about Ian Clark? I might have done this last time we spoke. <laughs> I told him this once, but I bet he doesn't remember. So years ago, I, had, um, I was living in Birmingham at the time, and uh, I got a phone call or an email or something from someone asking for a flute. No, it was a phone call. They asked for a flute lesson. And they said, hey, Mr. Clark, can I get a flute lesson? Now I'm never called Mr. Clark, especially back then. So I was like, sure. So we booked in this time of when they were going to come next week for this one-off flute lesson. And I said, okay, no problem. I'll see you next Thursday at one o'clock. And as I went to hang the phone up, this guy said, okay, thanks so much. See you next Thursday. Bye, Ian. And hung the phone up. <laughs> Because, of course, we have the same surname. Yep. So it, I just was like, did he just say Ian? Because, like, Stephen, Ian, they kind of sound a little similar. And I was like, did I hear this correct? So I didn't know what to do. I was like, should I call him back and, and tell him that I think he's got the wrong person? Or just question it? Because but even if you question it and he has the right person, like, how embarrassing. You know, it's, it was a really awkward one. So I decided not to do anything about it. Anyway, this kid came in just in his last year of college or something, and wanted to learn ZoomTube. So he'd come to me with ZoomTube. And, uh, but the thing is, I played ZoomTube all the time. I, I, in some ways, I was one of the first people to, to kind of play it a lot. So there was videos online on YouTube and stuff. So people knew me as the ZoomTube guy. So it didn't surprise me that somebody wanted a lesson on ZoomTube. But anyway, we played this lesson. He paid me and off he went. And still to this day, I have no idea if I opened the door and he went, oh, no, I've got the wrong guy. <laughs> I have no I have no idea. <laughs> I've never I've never been brave enough to ask. Well, your career has been so varied so far and you're still very early into it. And this Flute Gym book, I think, is just the start for you because I've only oh, had, the, had the chance this morning to really have a, a good look through and I'm looking forward to having a honk later on it. So congratulations, Thank Steve. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I have to say, you and Trevor James are such a great company to Aww. be professionally connected with and also personally connected with. Because what I admire about you guys the most is, first of all, I have never met a flute company who are so open-minded. But also, you know exactly what who you're aiming for. You're not trying to be anything other than what you do and do the absolute best job you can at it and i admire that enormously oh that's very sweet and that's who we are we're barking mad as you know we mess around with very silly <laughs> things but yeah we know who we are and we try not to be what we're not and do you remember the time where you sent me a bag of head joints oh, so i yeah. could drill holes in them <laughs> <laughs> do you know that is still on the cards when we when we is when it? yeah when the world emerges and you can finally come down to us yes that is still on the cards 
Nobody ever believes me when I tell them the story. I called you up and you said, yeah, sure. And the next day, this box of about 16 head joints arrived and I drilled holes into everything to see what it would do. And it did work, didn't it? So we are... It did, it really did work. And we we want to forward this mad idea of yours. We want to sort of work with it again in the future. But that to me is, that sums you guys up. Because could you imagine if I called up any other flute company in the world (laughs) and the response I would have got? So you didn't even question it. You said, no problem. And off they came. (laughs) Yeah, because you never know. For every idea, every 10 ideas, you might get one that just, you know, rocks the boat. I mean, we had all these funny coloured head joints. Remember, we wrapped them. We had them wrapped in uh, what cars get wrapped in, you know, multicoloured things. And um, we had one that is, uh, I put out on social media every now and then. It looks like it's made of marble. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know the one you mean. And it's actually just a car wrap. But it actually sounds like a, it sounds like a dud. Because the uh, the tube doesn't vibrate, but it looks beautiful. <laughs> but you also make some amazing instruments because you, of course, um, you gave me this beautiful. I think it was maybe the prototype of the copper alto. Flute. You did, you know yeah. I mean? You had the. And first so I was cop- I was yeah. just going off to New York to do Carnegie Hall at the time, actually. And um, when we were rehearsing, um, my piano player and I, we made this little arrangement of this beautiful John Williams melody, and mm. we recorded it on the alto flute. And of all the things that are out there with my playing, that is one of the things that comes up the most and it's played on a trevor james alto flute yep yeah the first prototype yeah. great i can play it all the time that's played in so many of the uk orchestras and i played a concerto in uh, sydney on it last was it sydney last year it had four bars of alto so that alto, alto flute has done me amazingly well i'm very grateful for it yeah we we do what we do and we we have a laugh and we smile and we just love speaking to people like you so congratulations well, we appreciate it as well thank congratulations you congratulations on everything and um, you know, in the next coming days and weeks as this lockdown continues, and hopefully if there is a uh, a test that you can take that shows that you've got it and you can get out before the rest of us, you know, I wish you well. And thank you. when we all start emerging, either I'll come up to Manchester, you come down and we can, you know, have that beer that we keep on saying. I know. And we can go to that Turkish tapas place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wasn't that great? That was good. I was so con- when you said let's go here for lunch, and I thought Turkish tapas, <laughs> but it was really good. We definitely must go back. We must. And um, no, so thank you so much for taking time out today. This book, The Flute Gym by Stephen Clark, is wonderful. How can they get it, Stephen? For those that so, the flute gym is currently out of stock. I have to confess because way more orders came in than we were ever expecting to the point where I don't even have a copy. However, I know the, the new print run is being done as we speak. So it is still available on my website at the moment, which is uh, stephenclarkflute.com. And you just have to select what country you live in so to make sure you get the right shipping calculation. Um, but as soon as everything returns to normal, it will come off my website because the demand is a bit too high for me to do efficiently, if I'm to be really honest. Yeah. Uh, and then it will go into uh, Just Flutes in London have already taken an order, but they're shut. Um, Brass, I can never say it right, Brass Treblos, I think, in Norway yes, is great. going to take an order. Um, the American distributor, I have decided against, or they have maybe decided against, I'm not sure which. But I'm, I have yet to contact anyone in America about it just because of everything that's been going on. But so the best bit is my website at the moment. And as soon as things get back up and running, if you can't see it on my website, although you, you'll you still have links, Just Flutes in London is probably your best option. And obviously to find you on social media is Stephen Clark Flute. Yeah, it's... Stephen Clark Flute on Instagram. Yeah, I'm putting lots of things up. Oh, we have to, you have to follow you because it's, 
you, you, you're very honest when you're playing. Well, Instagram's a good laugh. I enjoy it, and I'm lucky to do this job. I, you know, this was always my dream, and at times in my life, I didn't think it was going to happen, and I get to make music every day, and I get to enjoy life because of that. So I can only be grateful and share that with people wanting the same. And if people think that travelling the world for 364 days a year is a wonderful <laughs> life, all they've got to do is follow your Instagram stories to realise it's not. You get the good races. and the bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> one th- one day I might write a book about all the things that have gone wrong trying to travel. Oh yes, I might do that. Yeah, spill the beans. Spill the beans. I know it'd be too too long, but I'd have more than 108 <laughs> pages in that. <laughs> oh, thank you once again, Stephen. You've been so generous My with pleasure. your time. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening into this Talking Flutes Coronavirus Lockdown Survival Podcast. Wherever you are, please try to keep smiling through these strange times. Keep practicing and know that one day these dark COVID clouds will eventually lift and the sun will once more shine through on all of us. Take care and stay healthy. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.